great to have everyone here. Um, last week we started our series, our winter series in Exodus. And uh, we're going to be spending um, all of winter in Exodus. So I hope you are I'm excited about that. Michael Law Monaco was a chef working at the Windows of the World restaurant in the Twin Towers in New York. And on the morning of September 11, he went to work and would have normally been at work at 8.30 a.m., but decided to stop and get some new eyeglasses in the shopping center underneath the World Trade Center, which meant he would be late for work for 20 minutes and he would live and survived the collapsing tower. This is what we call providence. Now, the word providence means the foreseeing care and guidance of God. It also means a manifestation of divine care or direction. And we all have these. We all have these moments in our lives. These, these simple decisions that were made, but if we had made the other decision or if something else had happened, our life would look very different. I think sometimes we forget. We forget how important these decisions that we make in our lives can impact our future. A chance encounter with a friend. Accidentally turning left rather than right on a road. Choosing to eat or not eat at a certain restaurant. These individual decisions that might not seem like much. Actually, if we think about it, if we think about where these decisions came from and how the, the decision after decision after decision led us to be where we are. They said they all seem like mundane and simple decisions, but if we stop and take a moment to think about it, each decision was a different fork in the road. And either you took it or you didn't, and your life ended in one place or another. See, this is what the story of Exodus is all about. It's about these moments. The story of Exodus is about these moments, these individual decisions that were made, but when we step back and we look at the big picture of things, we see that they line up perfectly. Now, what do we call this? Well, sometimes the world calls this chance. And sometimes the world might call it randomness, a fluke. But as believers, we call this providence, the foreseeing guidance of God. So in Exodus 1, we see the opening scene. And what started at an extended family of 70, we see have now grown to a numerous amount that filled the land of Egypt. We see that there is now new leadership in Egypt, a new pharaoh that knew nothing about Joseph and what Joseph had done for his country. 
But this new pharaoh, this new leader, was insecure and fearful of the growing number of Israelites in his country. And so what he does is he puts them under slavery. He puts them under severe oppression. And not only that, in a way to lessen the impact of the Israelites, the the Pharaoh puts out this decree that all Israelite newborn baby boys are to be thrown into the Nile River to die and only the baby girls are to live and ultimately they would become slaves that's the opening scene and it's not a good time to be an Israelite and so where we catch up in the story today is in chapter 2 where the focus of the story goes from big Israel down to one family so let me read Exodus chapter 2 Verse 1 to 4, as we begin today's passage. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she couldn't hide him no longer, she got a uh, papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Now the Israelite couple have a son. Now what's the decree? The decree is that that son is to be thrown into the Nile River, ultimately to be drowned. But they tried to hide the son. So for three months, they hide this boy. But the boy just grows and grows too loud, and they can't hide um, this baby anymore. So ultimately, instead of the Egyptian soldiers coming, taking the baby and throwing it into the Nile, this mother decides to do it herself, makes a small basket out of reeds, coats it with tar and pitch so that it becomes waterproof and releases this three-month baby boy into the Nile River. Now, I want us to pause at that point because now we know how the story goes. You know, if you've watched Prince of Egypt or if you've watched or if you've read Exodus before, you know how the story ends. That, you know, the baby boy will go down the river and then the, the, the daughter of the, the Pharaoh will be there and, 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 and saves this baby boy. Now, we know that. But actually, I want us to pause and actually really think about what the situation really was. Because I think we have made this situation too Disney-like. Because of the decree from Pharaoh, which was to ultimately murder all baby boys, ultimately wiping out a generation, right? We call this genocide, right? The mother did whatever she could to keep the baby alive for three months. And yet at the end of those three months, she recognized that, man, he's getting too loud. And instead of, you know, these Egyptian soldiers coming, just throwing the baby away, I'm going to place the baby in the river. Now, when we look at, when we think about this, we think about something like this, right? 
you know, Moses paper plate craft. Like, this is how we think about this story. And we think, oh, so cute. Look at the little baby in the basket. And then, you know, down the little river, the calm little river. And then, oh, and then we know the story, right? The princess comes. But you've got to understand, it's not like that. It wasn't like that for the mum. For the mum, it would have been the most traumatic thing. See, the thing is, we look at it and go, oh, what a cute little basket. But you've got to understand, what she actually built for the baby was a cute little coffin. Now imagine that. Putting a three-month-old baby in a little coffin into the river and ultimately having to let that baby go. No one would be like, oh, that's so cute. Oh, what a cute little coffin. And look at the little thing. No, no one's like that. No one's thinking like that. So I, I want you to understand the, the mom's heart in this situation. Uh, the, the, understand the, the harshness and the horrendous um, nature of the situation because we need to really understand how evil that situation was, how bad the situation was, so that when we continue to read the passage, we understand how good God is. Right when, when, we, when we go, God saved Moses out of the river, it's not God saved this cute little baby in a cute little basket. No, God saved this baby from death. Verse 5 to 10. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. And she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now, think about this. What are the chances that before the basket flipped over or before the baby drowned, that someone picked up that baby? What are the chances that it happened to be the princess of Egypt, someone who had power and authority to actually do something about this child's life? What are the chances that the princess of Egypt disobeyed her own father's direct orders to kill all Hebrew babies? What are the chances that the sister... Miriam had the courage to speak up at that moment and find a nurse and, and Pharaoh's daughter would agree. And I, I don't get that part. Why would a Pharaoh's daughter just use one of her own slaves? Some random kid makes a suggestion and the princess of Egypt goes, yeah, that's a good suggestion. What are the chances? And what are the chances that Pharaoh's daughter agreed to that and then the baby's actual mother gets to raise her baby. And here's the beauty part of it, and all the mums are going to agree. She got paid. She got paid to raise her own kids. Lord bless Centrelink. 
who pays us. We love you. <laughs> Can I tell you, if you actually, if you actually think about this in percentages, right? If you think about the chances of all of these things happening, it would be easier for me, okay, now listen to this very carefully, to play basketball in the NBA, soccer in the EPL, in the English Premier League, and be the president of South Korea, all in one day. Do you understand what I'm saying? The chances of all these, these event after event after event, and a lot of people go, well, that's really random. Oh, so lucky. But when we take a step back, and we just see it line up and line up and line up and line up and line up. You can't deny that God is behind that. It's impossible. And yet it happened. And, and this is what we call providence. This is where we see the hand of God moving. Now, you don't hear in the story, God calmed the waters. You don't hear in the story, God spoke to Pharaoh's daughter and went, hey, sir, at three o'clock, I want you to go down to the river because I've got a present there for you. You don't hear any of God on that. But he's there. He's there. Just happened to be under the perfect timing and plan of God. And this is what we call the providence of God. Now, the story continues in chapter 2 where we see the baby named Moses grow up in the royal palace and have his real mother nurse him. And that's why he becomes the prince of Egypt. That's the reason for the title of the movie, for those that didn't understand that part. Because Moses was the prince of Egypt for a time. Now, adult Moses gets himself into trouble in, in the end of chapter 2. And we're not going to go into that too much today. But ultimately runs away from Egypt, fearing for his own life. And yet even at that point, ends up in a chance meeting with his wife, finds a new life outside of Egypt. And we think, well, I think Moses thinks, that's the end of that era of my life. But obviously knowing the larger story, we know that God has more See, at the end of chapter 2, verse 24 and 25, it goes back to the bigger picture of Egypt. And we see that the pharaoh, the current pharaoh, he dies. And there's a new pharaoh, but the situation hasn't changed for the Israelites. They're still in slavery. Now Moses has run away, but the Israelites are still in slavery, and they're crying out to God for help. Verse 24, God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So he looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. That's an amazing verse. Let me read that again. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God heard them. God remembered the promise that he had with them. God looked upon them. God was concerned about them. And as much as you don't hear about God throughout the chapter, throughout the passage, it's actually God who's the main character in this passage. 
See, in chapter 1, while Pharaoh was giving the decree to murder the Israelite boys, ironically, even in this time of oppression and suffering, we read in verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. So, so Pharaoh says, kill all the boys. We need to suppress the Israelites. We need to get them under control. God's people are under attack. Pharaoh is trying to commit genocide. And yet we see God moving in the complete opposite direction. And suddenly there's actually more Israelites. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Now, Moses has grown up. Okay, he's, not a, he's not the baby anymore. The mums nursed him. He's grown up to be an adult. And we read this verse. And, and what we, like, we, we kind of read this verse. It's like, oh, what's so big deal about this verse? And there's this phrase in this verse. There's this phrase. And he says, he went out to where his own people were. Now, here's a question. Who were Moses' own people? Who were Moses' own people that this verse talks about? It's not talking about Egyptians. It's talking about the Hebrews. It's talking about the Israelites. And my question is, how does Moses know that even though he grew up in the royal family of Egypt, how does Moses know that he is not an Egyptian, but that he is an Israelite? Right? Now, my assumption, right, my assumption is that as he was growing up, his nurse, who happened to be his mother, ingrained that into him, right? How else would Moses have known that he was still belonging to God? I think the mother probably told him and taught him who you really are. You're an Israelite. You're a Hebrew. And what's crazy is Moses could have just forgotten all that, just lived a luxurious life in Egypt as the prince. But that identity as, as an Israelite was ingrained in him. That's providence. That's how God works. The name that the Egyptian princess gives to the baby Right? This name wasn't given to, to Moses by God. It was given to Moses by the Egyptian princess. And, and she calls him Moses. And the word Moses means to draw out. Why? Because she drew him out of the water. That's how she named him. But what's so cool about it is that actually God's going to use Moses to draw out the Israelites out of Egypt. The Egyptian princess, it's like the Egyptian princess put this name upon him. Obviously, God knew and that God would use that to save his people. This is all God. This is all in the plan of God. And even at the end of chapter 2, when he is banished out of Egypt, out of the picture... We're going to see that even that, God's going to use that as a part of his grand plan. Friends, hear this tonight. There's no such thing as randomness. 
There's no such thing as chance. When we talk about creation, they talk about the Big Bang Theory. How did the world begin? And there are some, there's a theory called the Big Bang Theory that says that in the universe, something happened, bang, and the universe was born. Now, statisticians talk about this, and they say the chances of that happening, the chances of that happening are the same as if I was to take this microphone and I was to throw it onto the ground. And as I was throwing it, and as it hit the ground, all the atoms in it would completely disassemble themselves and that it would bounce up perfectly and I would catch a brand new mobile phone. Now, I'm not going to show that to you because I'm going to break a very good microphone. But the chances of that, and you go, wow, that's random. And it is, but it's not because there's no randomness. We are all living a part of God's plans. God does not make mistakes. God is not random. You know, he's the creator God. You go to Genesis 1, when he created the universe, he spoke the, the sun and moon and stars, and he placed them. So we, we, look at the, we, we look at the sky, right? And we see these stars, and we just think, oh, you know, there's a few here, there's a few here. What's amazing about our God is actually when he created them, he actually, you go here, you go here, See, it's kind of like we just don't understand it. We can't comprehend it. But that's our God. This same God's the one that saved Moses from the river Nile and certain death. This is our God. And it's the same God that we worship today. See, friends, what we need to understand is no matter who we are or no matter what we're going through or have gone through in our lives, nothing is outside of the sovereign control of God. There is no random, you know, when coronavirus, you know, hit the world, right? God did not sit back and go, oh, wow, what happened there? You know, like, you know, when, 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 when earthquakes hit, you know, God's not like, oh, I missed that part. What happened? You know, like people are, are killing themselves all over the world. God, God's not sitting back and go, oh, didn't see that happening. No, it's... So all a part of God's plan. Now, to say that that's all a part of God's plan doesn't necessarily mean that we have to understand God's plan. We actually, in reality, most of the time, we don't understand God's plan. We don't, can't comprehend. And, and, and so we ask questions like, why did this happen? Or why did this happen? Or why does that happen? Or, or why, why am I in this situation? And, and you might not be able to understand it or comprehend it, but that doesn't mean that it's still not real. See, what we need to acknowledge, actually out of a place of humility, is that God is creator and we are creation. But, and just because we don't understand that, just because we don't understand how God works, doesn't mean that God doesn't work. Scripture tells us that his thoughts are higher. His ways are higher. When God created you, he created you with purpose, intention, not so that you could live whatever kind of life you want. 
Make decisions of whatever you want. But, that, but he created you so that you can live for him. Let's take a moment to just think. Do you think? Well, think about this, right? The decision that you made today to either come to church or to switch on the TV or the phone. Now, did you make that decision? Yes, you did. Is that decision outside of God's sovereign plan? No. Did God make you do that? No. But was it a part of his plan? Yes. There's nothing. Right? There's nothing that we can do that is outside of what God can comprehend or understand that is already a part of his plan. Now, I know a lot of people talk about karma. You do good and good will come around. Now, for me, that doesn't work because who defines what good is? Like you do a good, you do a good thing at the level 500 and so another you know, level 500 good thing comes to you? Or you do a bad thing at level 1,000 and so another 1,000 negative thing comes to you? It doesn't work. Who gets to define good? Talk about chance. I love people that when they, when they talk about the existence of God and we start talking about chance and about flukes, about how this just happened and then this just randomly happened and this just randomly happened. And, and it's like, dude, that, that's like saying you walked into a building and it randomly didn't fall on your head. You know, no, there, there's, a, there's a structure you know, some engineers thought about this. You know, some, some building, building company has constructed this. There's no randomness. And I really, I thought about this today as I was driving in. And I thought, if, if I can't call this the providence and the plan of God, what am I calling it then? Right? If I look at my life and I just think, well, if this is not God working in my life, then what am I ultimately saying then? What I'm ultimately saying is that everything that has happened in my life was a complete roll of the dice. It was just random. The fact that I'm here, the fact that I know you, the, th- the fact that I ate Chinese today, it's all random. Right? But what's the problem of that? The problem of that is if our existence is based on randomness, then my question is, well, what's the point? Right? What's the point of existing if it's all just randomness? What's the intention? What's the purpose? If our existence, if creation itself really did become uh, out of a big bang and we just existed because someone rolled dice and we hit 666 or whatever and we just got here and then we die. And then what? Like what's the point of living a good life? What's the point of keeping, you know, the, the, the speeding limit, if it's just random. See, you have to understand that when you don't recognize God in your life, whether you understand it or not is a completely different question. But if you can't go back to God as the planner and the creator of your life, then what you are ultimately saying is that you are here because of some kind of fancy weird chance. And for some random reason, you got black hair. For some random reason, you live in Sydney. For some random reason, you are the way you are. And I look at that and I go, there is no point. There is no point in my life 
if my life is just a series of random events. And so I have to conclude through biblical scripture that when God says, I am the creator, I am the sovereign one, that he is bigger than anything that exists in this world. And that's what Exodus is teaching us. God wants us to know tonight. God wants us to know tonight that God wanted you here. God wanted you here, whether you're in this place right now, whether you're tuning in through the live stream, God wanted you here. It's his plans. This wasn't your, it wasn't purely your decision just to turn it on. No, God wanted you. God wanted to speak to you tonight. God wanted to connect with you tonight. And he wants you to know. And he wants you to know that you're not alone. See, if our life really is about just the random chances, then that's really alone. Because one day you could be with someone and one day you might not be. That's just the way that the dice rolls. But it's not like that. Because God had it in mind from the beginning. And he was with each and every one of us from the beginning. And he has a specific purpose in mind for you and your life. And that is to glorify him. He wants you to live the fullest life ever. You know what that life is? It's a life with him. Friends, the plans of God are mighty and powerful more than what you can understand and comprehend. You know what he wants for you in your life is amazing. Can I, t- can, I, can I honestly tell you, God did not create you to live a mediocre life. God did not create you to live an average life. Just be an average Joe. Go play dodgeball. Some of you get that joke. That's okay. Some of you don't get that joke. That's okay as well. God did not create you just for you to breathe and exist. And that's it. God created each and every one of us for a purpose, a reason. And can I tell you, those plans for you, whatever you want to do with your life, whatever your plans are for you in your life, can I just tell you what God has planned for you is immensely greater. It's infinity greater than what you can do. And the joy and the satisfaction that God can give goes beyond what you can gain from this world. So surrender. Now, when we talk about this word surrender, we don't really like it because we feel like the word surrender is a word of weakness. But can I tell you, surrender is a word of strength. It's a word that comes out of humility and says, I'm going to let go of myself and my plans because I know what God has for me is even greater. I use this story all the time. You know, you go and buy a lotto ticket, you know, and you win the lotto. And, 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 and you win $3 million. That didn't impress anyone. You win $300 million, okay? You win $3 billion, okay? 
And, and all you need to do is take that lotto ticket, that little piece of paper that's worth three cents, to go to the office and go, here you go, here's my ticket. And they go, congratulations, you've won $3 billion. And you know, you know what it's like sometimes? It's like you look at that three-cent ticket and you go, wow, but this is a really good three-cent ticket. Look how good the paper is. Look how straight the edges are. You know, I'm, I'm attached to this ticket. I might, just, I might just hang on to the ticket. And the, and the person at the office is scratching their head. It's like, you give me that three-cent ticket, I'm going to give you $3 billion. And you're attached to this three-cent ticket. Can I tell you, that's what life's like when we choose not to surrender our own plans for the plans that God has for us. We look at our three-cent life, and hey, you might have a good three-cent life. You, you might even have a four-cent life. Okay, for some of you, you might even get to the four and a half, maybe even the five cent life. And you're like, you know, I like this life. Look how good it is. You know, I feel okay with it. You know what? You know what, God? I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to hang on to my plans. I'm going to hang on to my desires. And God's like, I can give you the world. And you're, you're not taking it because you're hanging on to this little, little, little piece of paper. That's what it's like when we choose not to surrender our plans to God. So I ask you tonight, surrender. Surrender whatever plans you have, whatever plans you have for your life. Give up your plans that you want for yourself and ask God, God, what is, what is it that you have for me? How should I live for you today? And know that no matter what God gives to you is beyond what you can gain for yourself. Friends, providence is the world that we live in. The hand of God all over our lives. And I pray that we would recognize that, but we would also live out this life of providence in our lives. Let's pray.